You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg and grab a stool. Come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Uh, once again, I am broadcasting from the little studio beneath the stairs tonight up in Thornhill, north of Toronto. Uh, Ian is behind the big audio board. At Zoomerplex in Liberty Village, Ryan is producing the live stream from his lair in deepest, darkest East York. Albert is on assignment again tonight. Uh, Captain Randy Kramer is standing by to discuss the secret space program, among other things. And uh, he is here for the full two hours. And uh, I will invite you to call in with questions and comments in the second hour. Don't call before then. Uh, otherwise, you'll be on hold for a while. Uh, so save your questions uh, for Captain Kramer until the second hour. And besides, you're going to want to hear what he has to say for at least the first hour before you comment. And I can pretty much guarantee what he has to say will blow your socks off. Incidentally, Captain Kramer, uh, I'm not sure if we have reached you back in studio. Uh, we have been trying to reach you on your cell phone. I know you're participating in the live stream so we can see you. Uh, in the uh, in the live stream, your video, but we also need you to be on the phone. So if you can hear this, we need you to pick up your cell phone and mute your computer. Mute your computer. I know that uh, Ian back in studio is trying to raise you on your cell phone. All right. Uh, while Ian is busy trying to reach Captain Kramer, I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to me on Coast to Coast Friday night, Saturday night. Uh, last night, uh, actually into this morning, Sunday morning, Author Steve Ubaney was uh, here, or was with me, for the full three hours. And uh, Steve is writing a series of books called the Who Murdered series. Who Murdered Elvis was the first one. Uh, that came out back in August. And last night on Coast, uh, we discussed the Who Murdered FDR book. Who Murdered FDR. And um, I tell you, that caused quite a stir <laughs> So we're going to get Steve Ubaney uh, on The Conspiracy Show as soon as we can. And uh, so for you history buffs, stay tuned for that. Steve Ubaney, who murdered FDR. This is likely going to change everything you think you know about FDR and how he died. Um, okay. Now, I'm just getting a message here from uh, Captain Kramer. He says he can't call Canada, Ian, if you're listening. And... Um, but we should be able to call you, and we do have your cell number. So we will uh, we'll try to call you again. 
So uh, strap yourselves in. My guest tonight, as I say, is a whistleblower from the Secret Space Program who has experience with time travel, teleportation, technology solutions, and has a contact with aliens, extraterrestrials, interdimensionals. And the captain is also privy to psionic research which provides a miracle cure that can apparently cure everything, even regenerate limbs. Uh, Captain Randy Kramer is an officer who has been given authority to address the public on behalf of the command staff of the United States Marine Corps Special Section, which was created by President Eisenhower back in 1953 as a covert military intelligence branch with specific authority over ETs, multidimensionals, non-humans, and off-world beings. Uh, consortiums and collectives, uh, collectives uh, either sanctioned or unsanctioned, with actionable re- reach of any and all global territory. He is the product of Soldier Augmentation Project Moonshadow, a training program for children, which he began at age four and later spent a 20-year off-duty world, or spent 20 years off-duty, over 17, which was serving with the Mars Defense Force. He finished his service aboard the EDF SS Nautilus under, under the command of Captain Roger P. Kirkland as a pilot under Project Radiant Guardian. Uh, and I should also point out that uh, Captain Kramer will also be at Stargate to the Cosmos Expo 2018. That's happening at the Ramada Inn in Albuquerque, uh, Midtown, Albuquerque, New Mexico in Midtown, October 25th to the 28th. That is fast approaching. Again, Stargate to the Cosmos Expo 2018 at the Ramada Inn, Albuquerque in Midtown, October 25th to the 28th. Now, uh, back in studio, uh, Ian, I'm, I'm sure you're getting these messages. Captain Kramer cannot hear me, and we're having difficulty calling in uh, to him uh, on his cell phone. So uh, I'm assuming we still haven't made contact. Why don't we open up the phone lines and uh, and do some open lines until we get to uh, to Captain Kramer? And uh, Ian, if you could message Captain Kramer <laughs> and uh, let him know. Uh, that we're trying to raise them and so forth. So why don't I give you the telephone numbers in uh, lieu of our guest, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740 in the greater Toronto area, and toll-free from just about anywhere, one 866 740-4740. Once again, the number in Toronto, 416-360-0740. And toll free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. 744-740. Ask me anything, of course, keeping in mind, what is this program all about? We don't swap veal recipes. We don't talk about the weather. Uh, and um, what else don't we talk about? Well, let's let's focus on what we do talk about. This is called The Conspiracy Show, after, after all. So The Conspiracy Show, we talk conspiracies. We talk the paranormal. We can talk UFOs. We can talk uh, cryptids, cryptozoology. We can talk geopolitics uh, and the like. All right. Now, um, I'm just going to take a moment here because I think I can send Captain Kramer a message on the iChat. He can't hear us. So I'm just going to type him a message. We are working on it. (laughs) 
All right. Uh, so we are trying to reach you on your cell phone. You're not picking up. That's a problem. No guest on the other end. Uh, however, we will soldier on until we can contact uh, Captain Kramer. 416-360-0740 and toll free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. Now, uh, we can talk about geopolitics. You know, this whole uh, Jamal, uh, this journalist, uh, Khashoggi, that uh, went disappearing or went uh, has vanished. We now know that he was... Uh, murdered at the um, the consulate, the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul back in October the 2nd, I believe. Uh, if you'd like to weigh in on what you think is happening there, uh, this has obviously far-reaching implications because it, uh, it threatens obviously to uh, destabilize the relationship between the United States and a very important ally in the Middle East. The United States doesn't have a lot of allies in the Middle East, and the Saudi Arabians, for all their warts, are a, a vitally uh, important ally. A counterbalance, a counterbalance to uh, Iran, of course. Uh, Saudi Arabia now sort of uh, uh, strangely has come on board uh, and has sort of cozied up to Israel because Saudi Arabia is uh, obviously fearful of the uh, the Iranian influence in the Middle East. And uh, so that can make for unlikely bedfellows, if you will. Egypt, Israel, Jordan, Saudi Arabia uh, now sort of cozying up to each other because of their fear of Iran. Uh, but if, uh, for example, President Trump decides to uh, break off relations with Saudi Arabia or cancel this hundred billion plus uh, military uh, defense contract. Again, this could have far-reaching implications. Will it throw Saudi Arabia uh, into uh, the arms of uh, of Russia or China if they can't get the their defense uh, their, their their military hardware from the United States? They will likely go elsewhere. So this is very problematic on the one hand. Uh, so while it's easy to say, well, Saudi Arabia, the, the leadership there, the monarchy, they are, they are butchers. Uh, and there's no question, as far as I'm concerned, they had knowledge. Uh, something like that doesn't happen. You don't murder uh, someone in a, uh, in a, in a consulate uh, without having, I would say, prior approval, tacit approval, uh, from uh, Prince Salman. Now, is the United States in any position to tell the Saudis that we're not going to play ball with you unless you oust Prince Salman? Not sure that can happen. Obviously, though, <laughs> this cannot this cannot be let go. This cannot be ignored without serious serious repercussions. So, if you'd like to weigh in on that, we certainly can. Now. Having said that, uh, I have to say that this um, this poor soul that 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 met his end in a most violent and brutal way, uh, you know, he's been described as a journalist. I don't think I would I would go that far. I don't think there is such a thing as journalism in Saudi Arabia. Certainly, there is no such thing as a free and independent journalism in Saudi Arabia. He was more like 
a propaganda minister, uh, truth be told. Now, having said that, he was um, he was a resident of the United States, had begun writing some columns for the Washington Post, and now, now all of a sudden he, he starts to write about freedom of the press and so forth. That certainly wasn't his role uh, while he was in Saudi Arabia. Now, having said that, that doesn't excuse the horrible, horrible uh, uh, barbarism that was perpetrated against him. Uh, but I think it's important also to understand who um, who he was. So there is that. We can throw that on the pile if you'd like. But we can also talk uh, cons- other conspiracies. We can talk um, UFOs, ETs, just about anything you like. Let's call this segment Ask Me Anything. So again, it's 416 360 740 416-360-0740 and out of town just about anywhere actually 1-866-866-740-4740 The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett and uh, Ian back in studio uh, why don't you take us into a break and we'll uh, try again to try and reach uh, Captain Kramer back with more in a moment stay with us Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, welcome back. We are uh, soldiering on. Uh, We were scheduled to have um, uh, Captain Steve Kramer, but we can't reach him for some reason. He's not picking up on his cell phone, and he can't call Canada. So um, if you are listening, Captain Kramer, we are trying to reach you. I see him in the, uh, he was at least on the live chat a moment ago. However, uh, we're going to go to open lines until we can reach him. And let's see, we have a, a gentleman on the line from, it's John in Burlington. John, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you doing, Richard? Love listening ber- to you on well, the coast there. Uh, I appreciate that. What's on uh, your mind, John? Uh, it was just a... Curious as what you thought about the NPC meme. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. Like, I'm not really connected to social media. Like, I've learned about this actually through YouTube, you know, watching YouTube videos. Uh, And uh, it had come up a bunch of times over the last couple of weeks, and I hadn't really noticed it. You know, just like I thought it was kind of cute. And it's kind of, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's been banned by Twitter because it's being used by... uh, right-leaning trolls to bait and inflame the leftists, depicting them as NPC characters from video games who are, you know, programmed only for a certain script. Uh, Right, uh, right. They they have no other response other than their programmed responses. 
Yes, we call that the hive mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was never clear on what the NPC reference was because I'm obviously I'm not a on on I'm, I'm not a computer I'm not a gamer. Um, my my children, who I now affectionately refer to as the IT department, yeah. <laughs> because if I have a problem, uh, they they come and and fix things. But I, I I'm not familiar with the with NPC in terms of it the, the the gaming context. But I I have been following it a little bit on social media. But I'm not surprised. Should we be surprised? Obviously, uh, uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, uh, despite their uh, denials, there is a huge uh, political bias at play here. I would have to agree. It, and in, in just the mainstream media altogether, like I, for years, I used to get the, the Saturday section for the New York Times because I so valued the varied opinions and points of view that they used to give. And it no longer gives that. No. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not surprised. Um, however, I think, I think, I'm not sure exactly when this is going to happen, but I think the writing is now on the wall, uh, to use the old biblical uh, reference, uh, that this situation with uh, uh, Facebook and Google, and, and particularly Google, uh, playing around with algorithms, uh, filtering out conservative search results, mm -hmm. uh, refusing to work with the U.S. Pentagon on certain projects, but then going over to China and helping yeah. that tyrannical government um, uh, spy on its own citizens. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. cannot stand. This will not stand. I'll tell you what I did um, earlier today. I was having trouble uh, with Firefox on my, my computer. For whatever reason, it just keeps crashing. And so uh, Ryan, God bless him, said, well, have you tried BraveNet yet? So just be because I had to, uh, I had no other choice. I, I, uh, I, I, I downloaded BraveNet and I'm now using that. So there – and BraveNet I guess is kind of a – you know, the, the, maybe the first sort of pushback against uh, Google. Oh, yeah. And there will be others. There will – Yes, there will be others. There will be, well, Google is a is a is a. It's not exactly the same thing as BraveNet. You know, one is a search engine, one is a, a browser. But yeah. uh, there will be there will be more and more of this happening, and people will vote with their feet. At least I I pray they do. Uh, you know, there will, a, there will be there will be an. Well, yes, but what I'm saying is, you know, in, in a free in a free marketplace, this is what yeah, we refer no. to as voting with your feet or voting with your wallet or however. Yeah. Sure, voting with your mind. There will be an there will be an alternative to Twitter, uh, and what would push that over the edge, of course, is you know, love him or hate him, but President Trump has tremendous power with his following. If he were to suddenly decide, I'm I'm off Twitter and I'm going somewhere else, and a number of people, uh, yeah. sort of with that, a number of influencers like that. If they that decide that's follow. it, I'm done with Twitter. That's right. Then there will be there will be uh, an alternative, and um, um, that's the solution. You know, the free market ultimately. But I this virtual monopoly to, can't be allowed to, to see the the free speech thing uh, come up again. In that, you know, uh, here's an attempt at at humor, and uh, it just shows the left has no sense of humor. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And I, I, I like to uh, – Dennis Prager, who I, I, I follow, I love Prager University, and I, and I think he makes an important distinction that has to be made, and that is it's, it's not the liberals. The liberals are not the enemy. 
The liberals no, are our friends. Classical the, liberalism the, the, is the a hallmark of Western civilization. It's it's the yes, it's it's the, it's the extreme left. It's the hey, let me call them the alt left since they love yeah, to the, use the alt right. It's the alt left. It's the progressives. They are the problem. You got them, uh, right. not the liberals. So it's important to make that distinction. But I'm not surprised that 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 uh, the Twitter would be would be banning this meme, or they ban James Woods because, you know, he's got a a pretty uh, acerbic tongue and a, a very yeah, sharp yeah, yeah. wit. It's, and uh, it's alarming, though. It, it it's Orwellian in that uh, you know your people's free speech being suppressed because it's not the popular speech. That's the problem, I think, really in this country, to a great degree, um, is who defines hate, you know, when it comes to hate speech. Right, there's no I legal standard. Massive uh, examples exactly. of what I would term hate speech directed at those on what they like to call the alt-right, you know, and it basically comes down to if you don't agree with the radical left now, you are a de facto Nazi. Well, but, it's the it's the it's the speech which is least popular that needs yeah, to be defended. Exactly. That's what that's what, what people, fails what to resonate with with a lot of people. We have to uh, we have to def- we have to defend uh, people that we disagree with, uh, people that we even we find somewhat odious, perhaps, as long as they're not obviously you know promoting yeah, physical yeah, harm yeah. against an identifiable group. Uh, then we must defend that. Uh, anyway, John, great talking to you. Thank you so much. You raised some great points, and thank okay, you for thank uh, you, for calling in. Talking to you. All right, all the best. Uh, hey, let's say hi to our friend Baji, who's checking in from Ohio, and he's a frequent visitor to the uh, the live chat on uh, the YouTube channel. Baji, welcome. How are you, my friend? How are you tonight? Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, along the lines of what he just said, there's an old adage that says, "He who defines the terms wins the argument." Just because I disagree with you, that doesn't mean that I hate you. And when somebody allows that to be the definition of terms, they're going to hold the upper hand in the discussion. And I think it's important when somebody lays that on you to say, hey, look, nobody ever brought up the word hate. You did, you know. But I want to get to my uh, point tonight, my actual comment. Have you ever heard of a guy named Gary Koss, spelled last name K-A-H? I have not. Who is he? He is a guy that used to work for lieutenant governor in the state of Indiana, and he has really had his finger on the pulse of the New World Order for about 30 years. He has his own website, GaryCaw.org, and you'll also find him on several videos on YouTube. And the reason why I bring him up, I think if you watched him or listened to him, I think he'd agree. I think he'd make a fascinating guest for your show. All right. Let me write that down, if I can get the lid off my pen here. Don't you just hate it when you uh, you take the lid off the pen and everything sticks to the pen? Okay, Gary. Actually, I, I, I hate it more when the pen doesn't write. There you uh, go. Gary, Gary Kaw, K-A-H. And um, you said he he, he works... GaryKaw.org is his website. Gary, uh, GaryKaw.org. All right, I've written that down. I've made a note of it. And, and Thank you very much for the recommendation. Indiana. And he was involved in a lot of international uh, transactions and commerce, and that's how he first got on to the whole New World Order thing. And he does a very good chronology of how this thing started and how it is progressing. Excellent. Thank you so much, Baji. Great to hear from you. Good talking to you. Have a good night. All right. Bye-bye. Anna is in Toronto. Hello, Anna. Welcome. (laughs) I'm nervous. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm terrific. How are you doing? 
No, thank you. I really love your show, your talk show. And I would like you to help me, please, because I know you're one of the best hosts of the radio talk show, and I love, really love your show. And before you are on 6.40 a.m. radio host, I remember. Well, I, I I used to be over there. I used to be in a number of yes. I've been all over the dial, Anna. Yes, but, sir. But now it's seven forty. Zuma Radio is my home. Yes, sir. And I would like to know if you are aware about the host named Spaceman, uh, previous six forty a.m. radio host every Saturday. Of course, um, yes, Gary Bell. God rest his soul. What happened to Mister Spaceman? Well, Gary Bell passed away, uh, well, I would say within the last six months, tragically. Uh, Gary uh, died of cancer. Uh, and prior to that, he was uh, he was let go. Um, oh my he said goodness. some, oh yeah, he was, he was let go from his post. So I hope that he will rest in peace with our Lord. Oh, Lord. And I yes. really love his show, you know, because it really opened my mind what's happening in our life today. In the our Spaceman was a, was a true original. There's no question about that. And uh, the thing I loved about Gary is that I, while I didn't agree with him on a lot of his, his positions necessarily, but that doesn't matter. That's n- neither here nor there. That's the great thing that we can agree, disagree, uh, and still be friendly. And uh, Gary always treated me, you know, very cordially and with respect. And I didn't have a lot of dealings with him, but we'd meet occasionally at the coffee urn. Uh, but once Gary got going <laughs> on a topic, I mean, you just couldn't you couldn't get out of his you couldn't just leave. That would be rude. And so he would have you sort of uh, I don't want to say cornered, but <laughs> he'd have your attention for about a half an hour, 45 minutes. And you it got to the point where, you know, if I had something you know, I had a deadline or something. I had to sort of extricate from myself from that position. So um, uh, I had to, um, whenever I met him, I always had to think of something very innocuous to bring up. Just, you know, hey, what do you think about the Blue Jays or something? Because if he got going on some conspiracy, uh, he just, he was like a pit bull on a, on a, on a, pork loin and he just wouldn't let it go and you couldn't escape you couldn't escape uh, but the other thing was it was it was just fascinating listening to him so that's my um, my those were my dealings with uh, Gary oh. Bell and yes God bless him God rest his soul Anna thank you so much oh, thank you so much for taking my calling God bless my you. pleasure yeah. all right thank you Anna 416 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740. And one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. I believe we're trying. We're still trying to reach uh, Captain Kramer, and uh, I kind of hear him in the background on the uh, the the uh, the hangout on air. So um, we're, we're going to try and reach him. So we're going to go into a break and uh, come right back. Either some more open lines, or we will reach out to Captain Kramer. Back with more in a moment. Richard Serrett on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. 
Well, thank you all for uh, calling in during our uh, impromptu open line segment. But I understand we now have Captain Randy Kramer uh, on the line. Do we have you there, uh, Captain? Can you hear me? Yes, I am here. Excellent. Well, you know what? I I'm going to hear you s- just great, Richard. Likewise, I'm going to tee this up again and, and reintroduce you, if that's okay. Uh, Captain Randy Kramer is an officer who has been given authority to address the public on behalf of the command staff of United States Marine Corps Special Section, which was created by President Eisenhower in 1953 as a covert military intelligence branch with special or a specific authority over extraterrestrials, multidimensionals, non-humans, and off-world beings, uh, consortiums and collectives either sanctioned or unsanctioned. Uh, within actionable reach of any and all global territory. He's the product of Soldier Augmentation Project Moonshadow, a training program for children, which he began at age four and later spent a 20-year tour of duty off-world, over 17 of which were serving with the Mars Defense Force. He finished his service aboard the EDF SS Nautilus under the command of Captain Roger P. Kirkland as a pilot under Project Radiant Guardian. And I want to mention again that Captain Kramer will also be a a featured speaker at Stargate to the Cosmos Expo 2018. That's happening at the Ramada Inn in Midtown Albuquerque, New Mexico, October 25th to 28th. Captain Randy Kramer, welcome aboard The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Finally, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, and it's no surprise. Uh, technical difficulties seem to follow me wherever I go. So I just take it in stride. You know, that's funny uh, that you mentioned that. There are a number of topics. Whenever I uh, discuss them, there are there are technical snafus. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we shouldn't be surprised at this point, however. Uh, hey, I've had radio hosts uh, absolutely had their boards hacked in the middle of a conversation and had all the phones uh, lines cut off. Um, yeah. Have been um, unable to be able to reconnect with me. I mean, there's there's been you know quasi. Uh, we're not sure if it's gremlins or just technical difficulties to just absolute. Wow, who's messing with this here? <laughs> so it, it, it's a range. <laughs> no doubt. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Project Moonshadow. Uh, I mentioned it briefly in the introduction. Just let's drill down on that a little bit because. That's going to be very foreign to some listeners, many listeners perhaps. Tell me about that project and how you uh, were introduced to that project. Um, I was genetically engineered from the ground up as a, I mean, really as a science project, to be honest with you. And my understanding was that in the mid-1960s, the soldier augmentation programs, which most people refer to as super soldier programs, which is fine. I just don't like the term for a list of reasons myself, so I don't use it very often, but it's perfectly acceptable if people want to. It doesn't bother me. Um, But the sort of long story short, uh, the old school way of doing it, you kind of had to break people's brains and their bodies and their psyches and shattered into a number of pieces to be able to sort of rebuild and alter personality that you then is sort of a, you know, snap your fingers, kill on command type personality. But we, uh, United States Marine Corps special section did a study and we found that that was a really ineffective way to use resource material, you know, thinking of personnel as resource material, but it was cut their lifespan short, cut their, uh, expectation of duty time short, uh, collateral damage was high. 
So we kind of decided to go with a different method that wasn't about breaking the psyche so much as it was building it from the ground up. And that just seemed like a better use of uh, time and resources. So for that project, the first project that we did using that methodology was Project Moonshadow and myself and 299 other uh, test subjects were engineered from the ground up and then placed into that program at essentially toddler age uh, to begin training in all things, um, military really. I mean, we've, you know, the young ages, you're not given like, you know, a rifle at age five, (laughs) you know, you can't pick one up, but you start with training programs that are designed to get young children to get good at cooperating together, playing games together, working on sort of group accomplishing skills together, the, you know, forerunning ground of what you're going to do to teach them later how to act and function as a military unit. And certainly by the time in our young adolescence, we were using small weapons, really weapons that are built for children, which is might be a little creepy to some people. It creeps me out a little bit um, that there is this this manufacture of some of these weapons that are essentially child size so that smaller children can handle them. And then as you get older and your body is more full size, then you can start handling the full size weaponry. Um, uh, we brought you on. This, this is a, a short, a short segment because we're going to break here in a few minutes. Oh yeah. Okay. But I could go we, on and on. So I'll try and keep it quick. And we will, and we will, we've got you for the, uh, for the duration here, but just, I wanted to, to back up a little minute. The idea that first of all, that you were created from the ground up, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're a that you, that you were created outside of the womb? What does that mean? Uh, it means that my DNA as a sequence was uh, part of that. Part of my biological mother's DNA uh, was put into that. That part of my fa- biological father's DNA was put into that, and then it was sort of laid out into a sequence. Uh, that they wanted to use as the base sequence and then removed the things that they wanted to remove and then added uh, other codons from an extraterrestrial DNA source to hybridize us to make us a little bit smarter, faster, and stronger. So, were yeah, you, we were, did you have a birth mother? Yeah, absolutely. No, no. I, I was uh, all of the sort of pre-engineering, you know, is to get a small fertilized cell that is then put into my biological mother so that I can be born and raised like any other kid in any other normal, um, you know, working class American family, which I was. But but you were enlisted at the age of four. You had no say in the matter. I mean, that's unconscionable. Uh, we, we have some serious issues with, um, how some of this is done and a lot of how we sort of had to conduct ourselves doing these projects is because it's how other people set it up to function decades ago. And we have a lot of serious issues with that, including, uh, you know, genetically engineering children without so much as, uh, a how do you do, uh, without so much as their parents really understanding the process and with a, a lot of, just straight up legal violations on human rights violations and so forth in that process. I can say as an adult who's done my processing on the whole subject, I'm okay with it, but that doesn't mean that it's okay if I can make that distinction. So I can be okay with how I was made, how I was trained, how I was processed, how I served and where I am now. And I can, you know, because I've done my own human, you know, psychological and emotional processing on that, I can be okay with it. But by no means do we consider that it's 
uh, a morally or ethically acceptable way to do things. And one of the main reasons that we would like there to be a disclosure movement is so that we can start to discuss how to do these programs with a moral and ethical guidelines that they should have in them and not just this, hey, we have to get this done. And right now, you know, let's cut corners attitude, which has pretty much been the attitude, you know, for the last 70 years. Well, the the other question is why why such a program was ever conceived? Why do we need super soldiers? I know you know that 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 word. I use it as shorthand. Sure. That's fine because yeah, most people fine. understand it. But augmented yeah. augmented uh, soldiers. Why do we need them? Who's the enemy? Well, in the early days, we were preparing for any eventuality, any conflict that could arise with an extraterrestrial species of any kind. And knowing what little we knew in the early days, the small number of species that we were dealing with, we just knew that we needed to be prepared for just about anything and that the numbers were showing uh, that you're sort of regular army you know even regular marine corps regular navy regular air corps air force soldiers who had contact experiences with extraterrestrials and some of them you know semi-friendly some of them vaguely hostile um you know the participants didn't fare well psychologically in fact it tended to break more people than it did anything else because um you really have to be much more than just mentally prepared uh, for that kind of eventuality because your frontal cortex can process that information. If you think you're ready, like I've said this before, people who say, I want to meet an alien, I want to be in the presence of an extraterrestrial. I say, no, you think you do, but you don't really. Um, I mean, if it was someone who looked like, who was very humanoid, who looked, you know, was real uh, uh, like any of us that could pass for a human being a terrestrial human being walking down the street that's a little different but meeting something that's really not like us is a shocking experience and I'll even if your frontal isn't. cortex I gotta, sorry for the interruption i got to cut in here i got to cut in we've got a break uh, sometimes i have difficulty hearing the music under me but we'll uh, we'll take a time i'll come back and continue to discuss uh, project moonshadow and other uh, subjects captain randy kramer my guest right here on the conspiracy show stay with us Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416 Three six zero zero seven forty, or toll free at one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. And uh, welcome back, Captain Randy Kramer is uh, with us for the uh, duration, uh, and he will be with us in the second hour. And uh, at the top of uh, the hour, uh, which is coming up shortly, we'll open up the phone lines and we'll take questions and comments. Uh, for Captain Randy Kramer, whistleblower. Uh, actually, I, I mean, is whistleblower even the right word? Because you've been sort of given the the green light to start talking about this, right? So it's not like you're you're in breach of some uh, NDO or uh, NDA, right? That's absolutely correct. It's not. I mean, it's 
it's one of those, another one of those terms. I don't necessarily correct people if they say it, but no, it's not really accurate when talking about me because my superiors asked me directly and specifically if I wanted to be the public spokesperson for the command staff of the United States Marine Corps Special Section. So, yeah, I, I'm actually sanctioned to do what I do. And and why did they choose this time um, to sanction you coming forward and telling us about, well, what have been highly, highly, highly classified state secrets? Why now? Yeah, the, per, great question. And the short answer is it's through a, a process of many, many data points, we have determined that it's far more dangerous continue secrecy uh, than secrecy protects. And so at the moment, we think the dangers of continued secrecy are far greater than the rationales for protecting the information or keeping it out of the public sphere. How does the... Um, I, I love this term that um, that uh, Richard Dolan uses, a breakaway civilization. And these are the, the people we're sure. told ha that have benefited from uh, back-engineered alien technology or technology directly directly given to, to them by extraterrestrials. How does the breakaway civilization feel about you coming forward? And and is I, I get the sense that there there is this maybe this battle going on backstage uh, between various um, intelligence groups and military intelligence groups and so forth. Uh, about disclosure. I mean, is that accurate to say that, that, that not everybody is on the same page on this? That's absolutely correct. There's definitely a conflict of opinion and interest in the different uh, areas. So the military, if you, I mean, which is really not even, you, again, this sort of one bubble of, you know, when you're talking about the military organizations which participate, but even if you just lump the military organizations that participate and then you lump uh, banking and corporate uh, business interest together and you lump uh, state actors, uh, people who politically represent different countries and any other interest that may fall into that umbrella. Yeah, it, everyone's got a slightly different opinion at the moment. And we believe by the numbers, we have a majority of people who just understand that disclosure is necessary to preserve civilization and life on Earth. You, you can't preserve civilization if you push chaos too far, if you push environmental destruction too far, if you push economic destruction too far. Uh, there's just all kinds of things that you can't preserve life and civilization if you go too far. And to be honest, honest, a lot of the big players on this stage are making large quantities of money. And what some people need to understand is those people are finally understanding they don't want to break the machine to fix it because they're making a ton of money off of that machine. And if they, even as a breakaway civilization, if they broke the civilization down here, you know, the, the surface dweller civilization, if you want to call it that, uh, it would still cost them a tremendous amount of money. And so those civilizations aren't separate. The breakaway civilization and the surface dweller civilization are not entities that can be separated from one another. They're tethered like by an umbilical cord that if you broke it, uh, would damage either one or both of them severely. So I think we've made a pretty good case to get those people to understand that it's inevitable that we have to do this to preserve civilization, life on Earth. 
and even preservation of the breakaway civilization and the higher ups of the technological uh, covert military space program as we understand it needs disclosure to survive everyone needs it to survive well that's somewhat comforting that they <laughs> the breakaway civilization they don't need to slaughter the cow just yet <laughs> or they shouldn't slaughter the cow just yet well, we, the cow yeah. being the rest of us plebes i guess <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the sir, we we we. That's often the kinder, gentler term people call them. Uh, people down here, the surface dwellers, uh, and you know, because of the people who are sort of contained onto the surface, they can't really go anywhere else. Um, and yeah, we we think it's simply not a good idea uh, for everybody or for anybody to do that to just wipe out you know the surface dwelling civilization and. Uh, lieu of some other breakaway civilization. They need each other. They're intertwined with each other. Mm. We think the case can be made to bring the surface dweller civilization up into the higher uh, parts of the advanced technology civilization and bring it all together before it just burns itself to the ground. So we should just disregard the Georgia Stones for now, I guess. <laughs> um, well, it's a, it's a guideline. The, the Georgia Stones are guidelines, not predictions. So, you know, they're guidelines for different potential uh, futures by people who have an idea of what they think is right or wrong, but not necessarily what is absolutely the right or wrong, especially when we're talking about the numbers of people that we should have uh, living on planet Earth. We don't want to overpopulate the planet. That is a great way to destroy what we have here. But we also want to get everybody in on the on the picture because we have sh personnel shortfalls within the space program and we have personnel shortfalls within uh the civilian parts of that program and so we really think that we need everybody involved in this process so that we can uh get the numbers of people that we need into the positions and jobs that we need them in that we simply don't have enough resources to just keep drawing from sort of this top cream of the top of smart, educated, accomplished people. You've got to start opening the doors a bit at some point to the rest of the civilization, just because we need to fill more chairs than we have bodies for. And we just kind of have to start letting people uh, volunteer and take open recruitment at some point, because we're just going to, we just need more people than what we can continue to do this way, the way that we've been doing it, which is through these covert programs. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Mars Defense Force. Uh, we've got about four minutes to the top of the hour, and then we'll continue after the break. But let's start the conversation now. The Mars Defense Force, you spent a 20-year tour of duty off-world, 17 of which was serving with the Mars uh, Defense Force. Uh, so how long has this Mars Defense Force been in place, as far as you know, and 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 what do they have in their arsenal, and, and who's running it? Um, it's a contracting, it's a military contractor, so it's run by the MCC, which is the Mars Colony Corporation, uh, and the Mars Colony Corporation is under an umbrella of the ICC, or the International Corporate Conglomerate, and so they kind of, they're, they're the administrators of that um, military contractor, and they've been active since the mid to late 1970s, which I know is a, seems like a long ways for some people who did not realize that we had uh, colonies on Mars in the mid-1970s, uh, but we did. That was when we the first colonies broke ground in 1974, 1975, I believe. And at, right now, uh, I would say that the the staple of the infantry of the Mars Defense Force is a 
full body powered combat um, environment suit, which is hydraulically powered. So you have, you know, extra sort of strength and motor power in your arms and your legs, but it's also an environment suit to protect you from harsh winds, temperatures, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's geared up to last out in the open sand uh, for, you know, hours and hours and hours at a time. And your primary weapon is a magnetically propelled rifle, a rail gun or a Gauss rifle, depending on what terminology you prefer. Um, and so you basically with infantrymen with a really tough um, set of full body armor with hydraulically powered with a Gauss rifle that shoots a lot of metal rounds really fast without generating much heat or kick. Uh, you have a pretty strong force just with that, just with the sort of that is their basis. But you know, the actual tools that you get to use in the field come and go because it's a, um, it's a hardware testing ground. So pretty much our main function while we were engaging militarily with indigenous species and indigenous insectoid and an indigenous reptoid species, I would hardly say that it was the truth, even if that's what we were told, that we were protecting the colonies from these species. We were pretty much just out there fighting with the natives in order to develop and perfect military hardware. Using them like target practice? Oh, I mean, not. I mean, we used each other for target practice. Um, so the insectoids could... Uh, a mass, massive swarms of smaller insects, which is quite a formidable force to deal with, believe me. And the indigenous reptoids were strong, fierce, hand-to-hand uh, -hand fighters, and incredibly psionically skilled. So they had the ability to use their minds and their evolved mental powers when they chose to uh, in ways that could make things very difficult for us uh, as a fighting force to attack them directly or with so, you know things like heavy artillery at a distance so so you're um you, you're uh, you're battling these uh, these extraterrestrials on the ground on mars listen we've got to take a time out we'll come back and uh, we'll open up the phone lines as well questions and comments for captain randy kramer back with more of the conspiracy show stay with us you're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room, your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate in your cabin in the woods. And a big how-do to everyone listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio. 740 hertz on the uh, amplitude modulation band. Megahertz, I should say. And 96.7 uh, on the frequency modulation band here in Toronto. Hi to all of you listening to this transmission on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And howdy to those of you listening to us on the Conspiracy Show app and the Zoomer Radio app. Both free downloads. And 
of course, those of you streaming us live on our YouTube channel, please enjoy, stay a while, but be sure to hit that red sub button. And a hi, of course, to everyone in the live YouTube chat. Uh, you're so faithful and loyal. You join us every week. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Captain Randy Kramer stays with us for uh, hour two, uh, and we'll take uh, questions and comments as well. We'll open up the phone lines. Just a reminder that um, uh, my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Conspiracy Unlimited. Uh, so if you don't get your fill of uh, the conspiracy show on Sunday nights, just keep in mind three episodes of Conspiracy Unlimited where I cover pretty much the same material. And uh, again, those new episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can listen and subscribe at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. All right. As I say, Captain Randy Kramer stays with us for hour two. He's a whistleblower from the secret space program who has experience with time travel, teleportation, technology uh, solutions, and his contact with aliens, extraterrestrials, interdimensionals. And uh, the captain is also privy to psionic research, which provides a miracle cure that can cure everything, even regenerate limbs and he's an officer who has been given authority to address the public on behalf of the command staff of the united states marine corps special section which was created by president eisenhower back in 1953 as a covert military intelligence branch with specific authority over et's multi-dimensionals non-humans and off-world beings consortiums and collectives I should also point out uh, that he will be speaking uh, at Stargate to the Cosmos Expo 2018 at uh, the Ramada Inn, Albuquerque, uh, Midtown Albuquerque, October 25th to the 28th. Uh, we were talking about the um, uh, your work on Mars as the part of this uh, Mars Defense Force. And um, so you're battling the, the, I guess, the indigenous species there. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of them. Two of them. Now, are they the same species responsible for uh, a lot of these highly advanced structures that were that were discovered on Mars? Um, I would say the ancestors of the reptoids were probably the ones who were mostly responsible for that. However, there is also an indigenous humanoid species that does live there. I never personally experienced them or ran into them. They weren't in the uh, zone that we were as far north as we were, but I have talked to people who have seen and uh, experienced the native uh, humanoid species as well. So that pretty much most of those ancient structures were either built by the indigenous reptoids or indigenous humanoids who lived there, but a long, long time ago. So anyone contemporary who lives there now would have been their long lost ancestors. And, and, uh, what is what are the numbers in terms of personnel on on the red planet right now? That's hard to say. Um, a few years back, there was a census that was actually happening with the colonies, uh, and they were figuring that the. I mean, I can't tell you what the exact military uh, personnel numbers are. Those are classified, which means I don't even have them in front of me because they're classified. Um, but it's, you know, at least. Uh, at least a couple hundred thousand military personnel, but I couldn't say for sure. But there's was when we were, had completed the census, uh, had a number that was right around 10 million for the population, of the colonies, but 
then not long after that, there was a, a worker revolt because they tend to have a number of the colonies still use a lot of slave labor. And as we understand from human history, you uh, enslave people and, you know, put too much weight on their backs over too long of a period of time. And eventually there's a slave revolt at some point or a worker revolt. So uh, they've been in the middle of that the last few years. And so we don't have exact numbers right now. A lot of people have died. We couldn't tell you for sure, but it was about 10 million civilians and anywhere from, you know, 150 to 250, maybe 300,000 military personnel. Who is being enslaved? Is it the the reptorians? Humans? uh, Human beings, mostly human beings from here, mostly uh, people, terrestrial humans who were uh, taken away as slave labor for the most part. And in some cases, people who have been there, I mean, have been born and raised there for generations since, you know, their slave parents, worker parents were brought there. So in some cases, you have multiple generations of people who have been born and raised in that environment. But a lot, the original workers were pretty much taken from here. In some cases, voluntarily. In some cases, it was, hey, you want to be a part of our really cool program? Yeah, that'd be great. But then, you know, when you got there, it's like, oh, what? I don't get paid for this? Um, so not everybody who, you know, was enlisted into any of the, um, colony necessarily got what they thought that they were going to get. Cause once you're on another planet, you know, people can kind of do whatever they want, uh, without much oversight, as long as there isn't any oversight at all, which there kind of hasn't been. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, it would, it, it's workers from who've been taken there and family members who've just been born and raised there for decades now and they are being enslaved and is the is the mars some defense of some of them that's that's, that's right. a, i want to be clear about that it's not everybody it's a, it's the colonies there's five or six colonies they all have a slightly different uh economic infrastructure that allows for either uh paid workers or in some cases slave labor it really depends on the and these rebellions that are happening, these rebellions, are they being uh, put down by the the the, the, uh, the Mars Defense Force? I mean, I'm trying to understand who who's wearing the white hats and the black hats, or are they all just gradations of gray? Uh, are the are the the soldiers, the infantry, the army on Mars? Are they in support of the slave rebellion? Are they quelling the slave rebellion? Um, I have been told that the military his job to protect the perimeter um, or to engage at the perimeter is a priority over dealing with any internal squabbles that the colonies themselves are having. In fact, my understanding is that even the MCC and the ICR allow uh, some of the this uprising to occur and some of the changes to occur in, in the sense that you have, um, you know, colonies that have divided now into multiple uh, power structures, those revolting, those who are sort of represent their traditional power structure. And in some cases, the workers who are in charge of factories that have quotas to meet uh, have been able to meet those quotas and therefore gain some favor with the MCC and the ICC overall. So it's not so straightforward as to say, oh, if you're revolting, then you know the authorities are going to put you down. Because in some cases, the authorities understand that the colonies have been having many problems and, you know, in some cases just cracking the whip over your labor harder isn't necessarily a solution. So if 
uh, revolting parties can demonstrate that they're more than capable of managing, uh, you know, themselves and managing production of the facilities where they work. In some cases, the MCC and the ICC are perfectly happy to see those changes happen as long as the production quotas continue to be met with uh, at a minimal you mentioned production quotas. What are they producing? As long as what are they producing? A lot of it is a lot of it's military hardware. A lot of it's that military hardware that we're testing out. My understanding is that they also just do a lot of uh, manufacturing that becomes part of this intergalactic trade system. So a lot of the high technology stuff that we know how to replicate and build, we've actually got amazing factories that can produce high quality merchandise that it turns out other species don't necessarily uh, make as efficiently or in some cases even as well and are perfectly happy to trade and or pay for the uh, goods that we produce. So a lot of it's military hardware, a lot of it's uh, high level electronics, high technology, you know, the sort of uh, advanced breakaway civilization technology, um, and ships, in some cases also ships, uh, ships, military hardware, computer technology, uh, medical technology. Yeah. A lot of high tech stuff. The, um, the, the slaves, uh, are they, I mean, is this, does this explain a lot of the the disappearances here on Earth, so-called alien abductions, uh, you know, people disappearing from from national parks all over the world, is is that where they're going? Missing children? Is that where they're going to Mars? Um, there's a lot of answers to those questions. Meaning, meaning there isn't just one answer to say that all those people that are disappearing are being put onto military ships or onto contractor ships and then taken to Mars to be, you know, put into labor service or something doesn't mean that that doesn't happen. And it does. It happens uh, quite a bit, I'm sure. But all of those things you mentioned aren't just unilaterally answered by saying people got abducted to go work on, you know, in the slave mines on Mars. Uh, there's an people do actually get abducted. Their abductions by extraterrestrials are few and farther in between than they were decades ago because of the net that we have sort of keeping people out who don't have permission to be here. Uh, we kind of have done away with most of the treaties, I understand, that allow other species to abduct people off, off the surface of the earth. We've kind of done away with that. So what was fairly prevalent in the 60s and 70s is no longer allowed. All right, Captain Kramer, you stay put. We'll take a time. I'll come back and uh, we'll take a few calls and continue to discuss uh, the Mars Defense Force, Project Moonshadow, Psionics, and much more. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. 
To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Captain Randy Kramer stays with us for the full two hours and we have opened up the phone lines. And before we go to uh, Gerald in Ohio, um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Captain Kramer, about uh, Gary McKinnon, the uh, the Scottish uh, systems analyst who hacked the Pentagon uh, computers and uh, sort of blew the whistle on deep space uh, platforms and a secret space program and, and so forth. Um, how much of what he revealed was accurate and how much of what he revealed was um I guess was he being used as a psyop? Is that what is is what I'm asking? Um, the question has certainly come up whether or not somebody wanted him to find that information, and whether they were packaging it in such a way as you know for someone to who would hack in and and be able to find that information. But there's also some pretty interesting evidence from people who know Mr. McKinnon and his process that. He was pretty much, you know, randomly uh, hacking these government systems at a time when very few people were able to do so, had the intelligence to know what numbers to call. Because, I mean, a lot of these, you know, systems were hackable from outside phone lines if you happen to have the phone number that you could get you into the system, that could get you on uh, into the system through an outward phone line. Hard, I would say that none of those systems you know are accessible through just somebody calling up an outside phone number nowadays they're much tighter than that but at the time uh that was possible so there's certainly some question there but i would say that the majority of the information that he had appears to be accurate or appears to have been accurate at that time uh continuing along in the sort of the disinfo stream uh i wanted to get your thoughts on Tom DeLonge and Robert Bigelow and, and Academy to the Stars and, and their efforts to bring about disclosure. Are they part of this uh, disinfo campaign? Are they are they on the same team? What's happening there? Uh, I couldn't tell you exactly because I don't know, you know, where every source of money, funding, information, intelligence, or where every string that could be pulled is being pulled in those lines of communication. But I would say that most parties working um, as that sort of bridge between civilian and covert military intelligence, most of those people, I would say, have in some shape or form the interest of some kind of disclosure. The exactly what kind of disclosure, how, what, where, and when is all very questionable and different based on preferences of agendas. But I'd say that the majority of those people want to see some kind of disclosure because, again, they understand the basis of the model that it has to happen. If we don't do it sometime soon, we're going to be doing detrimental harm to society, civilization, and the planet at large and society at large. And, you know, most of those people simply understand that it has to happen. I'm not saying that they can't get monkey wrenched either from the inside by somebody uh, along the way. And I'm uh, Tom DeLonge, great guy as far as I understand, but they seem to be having some serious financial troubles at the moment that may have been orchestrated, may have been sort of, hey, we're going to give you some funding and then yank. Well, now we're going to take it all away and 
kind of leaving everybody in the lurch and potentially uh, evaporating the entire organization over money shortfalls because somebody decided to stop their funding. My concern is people are starting to get disclosure fatigue. You know what I mean? We, sure. we get teased, we get teased. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? I mean, how do we counteract that? Um, unfortunately, if you want to talk about like we as, you know, a civilian movement of the populace, a we the people, there's not much that we can do at the moment about it. It's going to happen one way or another. And how that happens is really not up to me and it's not up to you and it's not up to the pretty much the people listening in the audience here. Unfortunately, we wish it was a more of a democratic choice where people really got a say in that. We truly do. We think that that would be the more ethically and moral correct thing to do. But the way it stands right now, there's a number of different ways in which some very powerful groups of people have been talking about how they want to roll through this and how they want to roll it out and whether they want to do it calm and peaceably or whether they want to have a hoax invasion and roll it out that way with a bad guy uh, alien and a good guy alien and then, you know, have that sort of worked out in a melodrama, um, you know, scenario in which we're all, you know, led by the nose to that process. Um, and exactly how that works out and exactly how that's going to happen is not a, for me to say, or unfortunately for you or most of the general public to say it's going to happen one way or the other. I would say it's our best duty to be prepared for just what's going to happen when it happens. So I totally get that. I'm, I mean, I have the same fatigue. Believe me, every time someone tells me, oh, oh, you know, something's going to happen. And I'm like, oh, OK, I'm waiting for it. And then, eh, you know, we pass a date and nothing happens. Like, all right, well, that was just another either uh, a flash of light that's a ruse or just something that didn't quite work out. Because a number, number of times throughout the last couple of decades, we've had situations where people really were about ready to try and make something happen. And then, ah, you know, something happened that caused a bunch of people to change their mind or enough key players to change their mind that they put the stop on it and said, no, no, let's actually change our mind and not do that right now. Let's, you know, process this for another couple of years. Let's go down this road for another couple of years and then see where we are. So it, it's an, an ever-changing process. I'm as frustrated as anybody by that, believe me, because I know enough to know that it's an inevitability. And that inevitability means that sometime between now and the next decade, um, we'll ha we'll, there will have to be some form of disclosure that we understand that there's extraterrestrial life and that we have some technology exchange from advanced species to our own. Whether that happens this week or 10 years from now or wherever it might happen in between is just questionable to a lot of factors. There's just a lot of factors that play in on when exactly and how exactly that's going to roll out. But it's an inevitability. There's just no way that we can continue to say there's no such thing as extraterrestrials, technologically advanced extraterrestrials visiting planet Earth, and there's no way that the military intelligence complex doesn't have information about it, and there's no way that we haven't made some progress with that. It's all going to depend on exactly how they want to tell that narrative, which could be any variation of 100% of the truth to 5% of the truth and 
falsehoods compared to what is actually going on. But it, the inevitability of it happening within the next decade is going to happen. That, that much we can say for sure. Don't you think that the good news of the, you know, the technological advancements and psionics and cures for everything and regenerating limbs and, and, uh, and so forth is going to be tampered significantly by the news that all of the misery that's been perpetrated on planet Earth for centuries and centuries and centuries by the elites is being perpetrated again uh, in, in Mars? And we're going to, what, continue to spread that, that misery throughout the galaxy? Is that the future? Well, let's hope not. Uh, and again, that's probably why the narrative is going to be controlled at first, and it's not going to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's going to be some version of a little bit of truth with a bunch of denials, you know, and, well, well we don't know anything about that. So I would expect that there, it's not going to be a clean break. It's not even going to be, you know, a clean uh, step over a line where there's this sort of before disclosure, after disclosure kind of a situation where it's all the information at once. I think it's going to be bits and pieces of information. But once the information starts to flow, it's going to be difficult to completely and totally control and, and stamp out the truth. So we think that once you just get your foot in the door, as it, as it were, and we can start talking about, you know, that there is advanced extraterrestrial intelligence with technology that is visiting us and we can get past that narrative and we can get past that conversation then it allows for a lot of other conversations to occur so we think that once you get that first couple of steps going the rest of it will come fairly quickly and not nearly as quickly as most people are going to want or, or be happy about but as in terms of how long it's been dragging out for the past seven decades, you know, it'll seem fairly quickly. Gerald is in Maxwell. Gerald, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Is that Maxwell, Ontario? Yes, it is. Hey, Gerald, welcome. How are you, Richard? Terrific, thank you. You have a question for I, Captain Kramer? Yes, I do. All right, have, we're all ears. I, I have watched Total Recall. Now, just about everything you've said tonight tracks <laughs> perfectly with that movie. Now, is Hollywood anywhere close to what you've experienced? Um, you know, storyline sometimes gets pretty close to the truth. Uh, you know, production value may is, is where we're going to sometimes part ways on, on what's truth or fiction. Um, and I will more money to spend than the American government. Yes. I can say, I can understand right. that. All right. Let's let Randy, uh, respond. So just finish your thought on that. Uh, uh Randy. Yeah, well, one of the interesting things about Total Recall is that, of course, you're referring to the first version of that movie that was done back in, I want to say, the early 90s, which is the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then there is a um, um, newer version of that film uh, with some different actors that has a completely different backdrop that the scenario. It doesn't take place on Mars. It takes place solely on planet Earth. And it has way more to do with this. Uh, separation of, again, this sort of advanced part of the civilization, this very poor, you know, technologically decrepit part of the civilization. But the original story, which um, 
that's based on is is actually the second movie, not the first one. So the first one where they decided to put all this stuff about Mars into it, that's plausible deniability for a lot of people where they knew that at some point they were going to start hearing uh, people who had been there who were going to start having memory recall and we're going to have start having total recall at some point. They even That's even a term that we use to describe getting all of your memories back. Um, that that was going to happen at some point. And so they wanted this plausible deniability so that they could say if so at, at first with someone like myself, you know, spinning the story the way that I do, someone could say, oh, dude, you've just seen total recall too many times because that's plausible. Can I to say something. Ability, yeah. Even though the original, again, the original story had nothing to do about that. Uh, Sorry, go I ahead. Could I ask another question now? Yeah, go yeah. ahead, Gerald. Sure. Yes. What you're saying Gerald? is yeah. this technology is possible on Earth now. They can replace our memories with something completely different than what we remember. This is what you're saying? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's a complicated technological process. You, it's not so simple as to just pick somebody up off the sidewalk and sit them in a chair, you know, with a hairdryer kind of device on top of it and, and, you know, completely change their memories. It's not that simple. It's a lot more convoluted if you want to really, really, really try and change what someone thinks actually happened and what their, their actual memories are, what screen memories are. Uh, or holographic memories or even artificial neurons or things like that that they can use. There can be a really involved process if you're really trying to cover up some memories or trying to hide some actual memories. It's certainly not cost-effective to do that with every single person in the civilian population. It only really serves a purpose to use that with select personnel who have way more information in their head than they consider to be... um, you know, secure or safe to have those people walking around with that information uh, readily available. So the false memories and screen memories are implanted in people who are leave the service who have tons of classified information in their mind that they don't want them, you know, leaking out or talking about. But it's not something that they can just go around and, you know, take an entire population in a metropolitan city and wipe or change everybody's memories or make them all think, you know, or believe that a certain thing occurred away a certain way. Uh, because that's just not technologically feasible. So it's something you can do to individuals specifically for specific reasons, but it's not the kind of technology you can wave, you know, a, a technological wand of any kind and, and do to a mass number of people across a metropolitan area or, in a country, or across a nation or a country. Gerald, thank you for that. Frank is in Toronto. Frank, good morning. Welcome to, co- uh, to uh, The Conspiracy Show. Are you there, Frank? Yeah, hi. We lost Frank. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, yeah, great. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Uh, good morning, I should say. Yeah, um, well, I got a uh, conflicting uh, uh, information on Mars. Like, I, I want, like, I, I'd first like to start off by saying I do believe that yeah, there was a, a, a possible civilization there because I've seen those those NASA uh, photos of the uh, of the pyramid and the face, right? And, right. Uh, but uh, I've also heard that uh, um, uh, xenon, the, the, the gas xenon, is, it was, was found on Mars, which can only be produced uh, through a thermonuclear uh, explosion. So Excellent point. So it was, yeah. was, was, was completely obliterated. And, and, and now you're telling us, 
if it's true, I mean, I, gotta, I don't know, but, but you're saying, you know, that the, their species living there, well, there's no ecosystem. Well, what are they breathing? And what are they eating? There's nothing grows, right? There's no, there's no atmosphere there. There's no food. Ah, well, wait till you hear this. Wait till you hear this. Uh, Captain, do you want to fill them in on the forests growing on Mars? And how are you getting there, by the way? That's another... Okay, let's one thing at a time. What about, um, well, NASA's revealed that there is water on Mars, but you've gone one step further. You're saying that photographs sh- clearly show there are trees growing on Mars, which has me up a tree because, uh, like, like Frank, I, I, I thought there was no atmosphere on Mars. Are you with us, Randy? Did we lose Randy? I think we did. All right, we'll uh, we'll get back, Randy back. Let's uh, let's go into a break. We'll come back, and uh, I think we'll. Uh, are we going to a break, Ian? Yes, sir. I think we are. Yes, the music is playing. We'll come back in a moment and pick this up on the other side with Captain Randy Kramer, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Or toll free 1 866 740 You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Captain Randy Kramer is with us. Uh, Randy, just before the break, Frank was uh, on uh, from Toronto asking, I believe it was Frank, asking about, well, he's kind of uh, perplexed because on the one hand, we hear there is no atmosphere on Mars, and yet uh, uh, there are indigenous species of extraterrestrials and and, uh, a population, perhaps uh, 10 million uh, humans living on the surface. Uh, And and then on your website, and we can direct people uh, to uh, the website, which is earthcitizenconsulting.org, you have pictures NASA pictures of what appear to be trees growing on Mars. So uh, what's going on exactly? Yeah, no, those are Jet Propulsion Lab uh, satellite, uh, infrared satellite photos of fairly recent uh, satellite passes uh, imagery, which uh, are true and accurate. Uh, I I will even go back as far as uh, the Viking craft that we actually have one, one of the scientists who put one of the experiments on the Viking craft uh, that says his experiment absolutely showed uh, the presence of microorganisms, and which demonstrates that there's oxygen, carbon dioxide on the planet. There's livable atmosphere there. Not too long ago, NASA actually made this very back page admission that they had uh, used spectrometry to see that there was, in fact, oxygen, carbon dioxide, and water in the atmosphere. And the director of NASA at that time was quoted in that uh, press release as saying, we may have to accept that there is livable atmosphere on Mars right now. That is a quote from the director of NASA. So they have changed the narrative, uh, even when they knew from the Viking lander that there was scientific testing showing that there was atmosphere. They decided to go with the test 
that because of the variance in PPMs that were necessary to prove one way or the other, you had certain, you had a, one test that was like, nope, this test says no. Well, this test says yes, because of the PPM requirements for uh, the number of gas particles that had to be found before the test was considered a positive. So they went with the negative test because they didn't necessarily want to tell people the truth. But one of the scientists uh, from the Viking Project has gone out publicly and uh, tried to talk uh, for years about the test that he ran and how it showed that there were gaseous expansions, uh, sorry, expulsions from microorganisms showing that there was some form of atmosphere there. Uh, and then over time, you know, we've been told again, there's not that, no, no, there's nothing there, but eh, yeah. Then they say, well, yeah, maybe there's running water. Okay. There's running water. Okay, maybe there's livable atmosphere. We're finding water and gases in the atmosphere. And, oh, maybe there's a lake underground somewhere. So they've continued to change that narrative over time. And they will, con- and they will continue to do so. But there's absolutely livable atmosphere there. Uh, plant, depending on where you are in the e- uh, towards the equator or farther north or south, you know, there's uh, small trees to big trees, small organic life to large organic life. It's a, it's a fairly thriving planet, uh, to be honest with you. It's it's a big desert for the most part, but it's thriving actually. And and uh, his other question was, how are I mean, we're talking about ten million inhabitants, uh, some of whom were born on the red planet, others were not. I'm not sure what the percentages right. are, but but how are they getting there? I mean, these would these would have to be massive uh, ships. Where are they taking off from? Tierra del Fuego? Where? Uh, the ship, we took a smaller ship, a TR-3B, which is a black triangle, a black triangle shaped vehicle and can, depending on the size of the ship can hold 30 to 50 people. Um, but we took a TR-3B from earth to the moon to Luna operations command, which is on the backside of the moon. Luna operations command, we boarded a transport ship. I'm going to guess based on just the number of seats that were on the floor that I was on, that could have been four or 5,000 people and the entire thing. And then that ship took a jump gate uh, from lunar orbit to Mars orbit in a very short period of time. Uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Andy Bishago, was part of the jump room programs though when he was younger. So they also do have what he calls Tesla teleportation, which is essentially a localized wormhole that's generated in front of you and like a, you know, like a Stargate from the TV show, but except they're not round and it doesn't look like a big, a bunch of water comes out of it. That's all, you know, uh, window dressing, but it's essentially the same thing. It's a wormhole generator and it enables you to walk through a portal and appear on the other side. And so depending on what level of security clearance you're dealing with will depend on whether you have access to jump gate technology, transport technology, uh, or you have to get there by ship that goes through a wormhole, goes through a, a jump gate in itself. So there's a number of different ways you, that you can get there. And it's fairly efficient and fairly quick. My understanding is it's a, num- it's a number of seconds to get from Earth to Mars via jump gate. So there are Essentially, uh, for lack of a better word, you probably won't like this this term as well. But there are uh, there are uh, stargates here on Earth that people can just walk through and end up on the other side on Mars. Yeah, absolutely, that's correct. Okay. Uh, all right, let's go to Dan in Hamilton. Dan, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. You're on with Captain Randy Kramer. Go ahead. Yeah. Hello. Um, Hi there. 
Um, my my thoughts are, are like, okay, so if all this is going on and the government's are thing and there's all these different planes or dimensions and wormholes that the U.S. government has sent a plane after to find out where the ship went. Now, what's to say that some of these ships aren't, uh, with there's abductions going on in that, that when they abduct people, are they doing a brain thing or something, reading their thoughts and seeing it's worth abducting them? Um, and and do they have some of their people down here, like uh, with bigger ears and stuff like that, that not all humans are able to see? Like I can see certain things. I have. All right, let me see if we can sort of clarify some of those questions. So the abduction phenomenon, you're saying earlier, Randy, that there isn't as much of that going on because we've sort of, we've cast kind of a pr protective net uh, over the earth and, and we've sort of, We've sort of severed some of those um, those agreements, those treaties with ETs that allowed for that sort of thing to go on. Uh, but is there still some abductions going on? Are there some ETs that have maybe penetrated that defense system and are still abducting humans? I, I would say that's a fairly rare occurrence where it's extraterrestrials these days, but you know there are military programs which continue to abduct people while pretending to be extraterrestrials that's a whole nother program of um trying to sort of let's just call it muddy the waters of people who are having quote-unquote abduction experiences and by having these um completely theatrical kind of experiences where it's military personnel who are either disguised as using holographic projectors uh, in some cases, we may actually have some actual extraterrestrials who are helping us with the process to sort of play the part of the, the you know, a being in that scenario. Uh, so that does happen from time to time. But most of the abduction, any most of the abductions are probably just military in in purpose. And depending on which department, which rogue agency is deciding what personnel they need or for what can depend on what that's for. So it's one of the reasons why we think that they, we need to have a lot of oversight in this, because as long as there <laughs> no isn't kidding. oversight, then yeah, then you have programs that can just say, uh, we need some test subjects. Let's go find some, or right. we need some, you know, we need some biochemists. Let's go find some. And then got to cut in know, here, Randy. We're going to go to, we're going to go yeah. to another break. We'll come back and pick up on that. One final segment remains with captain Randy Kramer right here on the conspiracy show. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. All right. Well, welcome back. A few moments remain with Captain Randy Kramer. Um, let's talk just a little bit. I, I want to um, help promote the uh, the conference that's coming up in Albuquerque, October twenty fifth to the twenty eighth. Uh, what will be what will what will be discussed during your presentation, Randy? Are you there? Oh dear! I think have we lost Randy yet again? <laughs> Oh, I hear him in the background. Randy? Okay. Can you hear me now? There we go. There you are. All right. Hey, yes. Hey, here I am. Okay. 
the uh, the Albuquerque, uh, the conference in Albuquerque. Uh, talk I've to me been, a bit uh, about that. No worries. I've been teaching a class on uh, the laws of psionics, uh, psionic self-defense and military psionic protocols. And so we'll be talking a little bit about that and um, probably sharing a little bit about the general aspects of my story, since some people will not have necessarily heard that part. Uh, have a book that will be coming out very, 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 very shortly. So I will certainly spend a little bit of time uh, talking about that. And as what I usually do uh, with folks too is I, I like to give people an opportunity to ask me questions uh, live and in person, uh, since people always have questions. So whatever time I don't fill up talking about stuff that is um, on the docket for me to talk about. We'll just spend the rest of the time talking to people about whatever they want to chat about. All right. Again, that's Stargate to the Cosmos Expo, and that's at the uh, Ramada Albuquerque Midtown, Albuquerque, New Mexico, October 25 to 28. Um, you mentioned Andrew Andrew Bashago. I've I've met Andrew several times and, and interviewed him on the radio, on my TV show, etc. Everything he's told us about Operation or, uh, Pegasus Project Pegasus, time travel, teleportation—all true, as far as you're concerned. Oh yeah, absolutely, every word of it, as far as I understand. So we we haven't talked about time travel, and we only have a few minutes, and I'll, I'll have certainly we'll have you back on to delve further into this. Uh, were you at, at all involved in in Pegasus? Not Project Pegasus per se, but. Uh, other programs that have taken the knowledge from Project Pegasus and the ability to use uh, time travel, certainly. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if we lost you again. Are you there still, Randy? Boy, we are having a heck of a time with the phones tonight. Randy? Can you hear me now? I can't. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. So you sort of tailed off there at the end. So we were talking about Project Pegasus. You said it's true. Uh, you, you, you weren't involved in Pegasus directly, but, and then I lost you. Oh, that's okay. But other programs do get to use time travel technology. So when we were in training programs, when I was a kid, it was not uncommon to go away for days at a time and then get returned, you know, quote unquote, 15 minutes after you left so that it doesn't appear to anybody in the household that you've been anywhere. Um, my tour of duty, which was a 20 year tour of duty, Essentially, is the same kind of thing where you know I was taken away at two thirty a.m. to go off for my twenty-year tour, and then was brought back at two forty-five a.m. You know, fifteen minutes after I left. So, they, in order so uh, it appears as if it never happened to everybody around you, and for me personally, it was like waking up from a dream that had been going on for months and months and months and months. I mean, really, I woke up in my bed and going, whoa, I just had the longest dream that went on for months and months and months and months. And then as it started to fade out of my head and I got up and looked in the mirror and I was 20 years younger or the same age that I was when I went to bed the night before, quote unquote, again, it all gets very weird at that point. Uh, your brain just suppresses, uh, goes with the memory suppression at that point and you just accept that you know, oh, I just had a really long dream. I really just woke up. Here I am again. And you just kind of start that part of your life over again, but not thinking that you're in military service, but having visceral, emotional, uh, visual kinds of 
memory uh, connectors and images still left really, really viscerally strong within your cerebral cortex that you have to deal with, but not the linear context for it at all. So it becomes a chaotic kind of experience to put it all back together after that. But yeah, trace amounts of time travel can get used uh, all over the place. What is your status now? Are you still back and forth to the Red Planet? Are you still involved with the, the, the Mars Oh, no, my force? job is here. Uh, oh, no, no, no. I'm not a contractor with the MDF anymore. I am an officer with the United States Marine Corps Special Section. I serve as the de facto spokesperson uh, PR officer for the command staff of the United States Marine Corps Special Section, and I function as an independent field commander, which uh, gives me some authority and security clearance to do certain things, which at this point is the public relations work, uh, some research and development into advanced technology and some criminal investigation. Now, if the Marine Corps special section, they've dispatched you to, to start the disclosure process, I mean, why don't they get behind this in a little more serious way? I mean, you're one person and you know, we're not likely to see you uh, on Nightline with Ted Koppel or uh, Sean not Hannity yet. on on Fox News and so <laughs> forth. But, yeah, but when yet. are they? Not yet. Um, but I mean, and, and if we were to go and we were to contact the you know the Marine Corps special section, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm guessing what they would deny. They would deny. Oh, uh, you can. I mean, you're more than welcome to call up the CMC's office. I tell anyone who. Uh, Anyone who thinks that I'm committing fraud and impersonating an officer can always call the CMC's office and report me if they want to. But if you wanted to call them and ask them questions, uh, one of a couple of things would happen. And I, I've known people who have made this phone call, so I can tell you this from their experience. Uh, you'll get put on hold. You might get transferred to a few different people. You might get asked a bunch of invasive questions that might make you think that you're being interrogated and you might want to hang up the phone, which has happened to someone I know who made that call. Uh, but otherwise... Uh, special section is an unacknowledged special access program. So you can start asking all the questions you want about United States Marine Corps special section, and you're not going to get any kind of an official admission by anyone that you're going to get on the phone there. Um, but again, if I were a liar and I were committing fraud, I were impersonating an officer, I were not telling the truth, they'd be very interested in that. They'd be very interested in talking to me about that. They'd be very interested in telling me, hey, you're not telling the truth. You're making stuff up need to stop that right now impersonating officers a felony and not just a little kind of slap on the wrist felony but a pound in rocks and leavenworth kind of a felony right um right. So, so yeah so i make that very clear to anybody who, who doesn't understand the the legal jeopardy that i would be in if i were committing fraud uh and so they're not interested in talking to me uh because if they were they would if they were interested in telling me to stop and cease and desist they would uh but they also you know don't go around deliberately um admitting or denying. So they kind of do that whole, uh, from one conversation, I know someone that had got on the phone and got the run around with, a, you know, kept getting on the different phone with a different officer or someone else. So they'd have to try and explain what they wanted to know. They'd say, look into that and get back to you. Uh, and they kind of play that neither confirm nor deny business. So they don't necessarily say, oh yeah, he's one of ours, but they don't necessarily go, what, that crazy guy? We don't know anything about that. So they kind of just play the, you know, what? We don't know anything about that special section. Oh, there's nothing. There's no there's no branch called special section. I mean, they'll just say all that kind of stuff that right, they have right. to say because that's the legal protocol for dealing with unacknowledged special access programs. But, yeah, you're welcome to give them a call if you want to, but you're not going to get much there. But, right. Um, no, I anticipated if, if I, it. Yeah. 
Uh, one of the callers was going to ask this uh, according to the notes on my screen, but I guess didn't get around to it. And that is, have you ever, have you brought anything back from uh, Mars? Oh, I would have uh, loved have- to have been able to bring something back, but no. <laughs> no, it wasn't allowed to bring anything back. No camera, no photographs, no cassette tapes with audio recordings. No, no nothing. It's it's a clean process, meaning, you know, I have to turn in all my uniforms, all my equipment when I leave, and I have to come back through a screening process. That's a medical screening process. So even if... I had managed to uh, find some, you know, a rock or an artifact or a something that I could I could show as proof and managed it, you know, to cram it up my butt. You know, they would have found it and pulled it out, and I still wouldn't have been able to bring it back. So, um, <laughs> it's a clean process. It's a clean process. <laughs> right. Um, it it really does sound like we are living on a prison planet here, and. Uh, only allowed to survive uh, at the, the good grace of, you know, these elite overlords, this breakaway civilization. Uh, and uh, as you say, in, in, in some of the outposts on Mars, they are enslaving humans. Um, I mean, why should we, why should we trust them? with anything that that uh i mean and why should you trust them maybe maybe you're being used how do we know you know you haven't had memories implanted and it's some sort of a psychological screen or or something you know what i'm saying these are nefarious people that's a perfectly fair question and and unfortunately the complicated answer is complicated which is there is no them in the sense that there's one group of people, one organization, one military organization, one financial organization, one covert breakaway civilization organization that's in charge of everything, that gets to make the call on everything, that dictates and decides how everything is rolling out. There are a lot of actors uh, in the scene, and there's a lot of people in military intelligence personnel. There are state actors, uh, executive elected leaders of executive branches, legislative branches, uh, military liaisons, uh, technological personnel, industrial uh, technology personnel, corporate personnel. You have a lot of people who really come together to make up this large lump of covert military space program activities. And there just isn't one them. So uh, and, and it's been over a process of 70 years that a lot of this has occurred. So you have different people running programs than you did 50 years ago. You know, you have different people in charge of programs than you had 30 years ago. So it's just not the same group of people doing the same thing decade after decade after decade after decade. It's an evolving process. And it people who are involving that process as well. So again, I would go back to the part that we understand that there's an inevitability and a necessity for this. And most of the people that we've communicated with under the umbrella of the various covert military space program activities agree with that. Some of them still don't. Some of them still think that it's not the best thing to do at this time. They want to drag their feet about it. But most everyone agrees it just has to happen sometime soon. So, uh, but I can understand. I can understand people being skeptical and have a hard time trusting, but it's going to happen one way or another anyway. So enjoy the show uh, as it occurs. Really. <laughs> Captain Kramer, great meeting you. We have to have you on again. We barely scratched the surface. Thank you so much. And uh, oh, again, thanks for having me. Anytime. 
My pleasure. And uh, we'll direct people to the website, earthcitizenconsulting.org. And, of course, the Stargate Cosmic Expo, October 25th to the 28th in Albuquerque. All right. Thanks to Ian, Ryan, and uh, back next week with a brand new show, Don't Be Afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home, or at least upstairs. So long for now. Good night. Good night.